Hi everyone, I just quickly wanted to come on here and share with you a company that I think is very much worth supporting. They are Christian based and I think they're located in Johannesburg. They're still a small company, but they make amazing Christian based products. I think this will be more of interest to the ladies, but men, if you want to spoil your wives, this is definitely the way to go. This is just a few of the many amazing products that they have. We will have a link in the description box where you can go and visit their shop. But this is like an example of something that they sell. This is a card stand with all the names of the Lord and the meaning of each one. Then they have notebooks with beautiful designs as well as daily planners. You can view all of them on their shop. And then probably one of my favorite items that they sell is their Bible covers. Ladies, this is amazing if you wanna spruce up an old Bible. And they have many designs to choose from and they even have some home decor options as well. So I highly recommend going and supporting this company. They're a beautiful company and it is led by people who also love Christ. Again, link in the description box below. Thank you so Hi, much. Hi everyone, welcome. It's, we're gonna do the Shulamite Bride, uh, number seven tonight. Uh, we're going to start or continue with Song of Solomon's 4 verse 10. We're going to continue on that. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse? And remember, it's the bridegroom speaking here. Okay? How much better is thy love than wine, and the smell of thine ointments than all spices? Best translation, how satisfying to me, my equal, my bride. Your love is my finest wine, ex ex intoxicating and thrilling, and your sweet perfume praises, so exotic, so pleasing. I want you to see how he looks at you here, how he sees your love for him, what he sees in this. Um, it says that it's better than something, it, it, it can take him over. It's, I want you to see how he emphasizes this love. How fair is thy love, and, he, and, he, and how he looks at that love that you, you have for him. Um, it, I said it takes over his whole being. It controls him. That's how intimately he, he walks with us, and what he wants from us, and what he sees from us that we can give him. Um, we think it's not good enough. We're not always there. We're not worthy. We focus much on how we see ourselves and we've spoken about that before instead of how's he looking at her he says hey, how fair is thy love my sister my spouse look what he's calling of those names it's got meaning how much better is thy love than wine because remember we spoke i'm not going to go into those things again we spoke about the wine you can become become under the influence get intoxicated by wine that's how he looks at you you're better than that Smell thy ointments, all spices. We're going to talk about the spices again here. Yeah, I'm not going to go through the spices again. We've did that in detail. Verse 11. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. And the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. Your loving words are like the honeycomb to me. Your tongue releases milk and honey, for I find the promised land flowing within you. The fragrance of your worshipping love surrounds you with scented robes of white. It speaks about milk, nurturing, uh, milk. It speaks about love, mother's love, nurturing. We've spoken about that before. Honey, pure, sweet. It's a sweet taste. When you speak, it's pure and it's sweet when you speak um, that's what he's saying about you yeah huh? that's what he's saying about you when the bible does it also talk about um, milk and honey 
Mm. Mm. The promised land, Canaan. Milk and honey, the land of milk and honey. So if that, you see the present translation touches on that. It basically is saying, you are his promised land. That's what he's basically saying, this milk and honey. You are the gift to Jesus, the, prom the promise. You are his gift. He died for you because you are his promise. Makes you think a bit differently about it. You were promised to him and he died for you. Verse 12. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed, my darling bride, my private paradise, fastened to my heart, a secret spring that no one else can have are you, my bubbling fountain hidden from public view. What a perfect partner to me now that I have you. I said here, yeah, you are his private paradise, where he can come and walk with you and talk with you, where it's just you and him in the garden. Remember with kings up to a couple of hundred years ago, they had castles, you will see it in movies, all the kings had their own garden in the middle of the castle, where only the king would go most of the time and not be... That was his time, quiet time was in that garden, a king. He didn't want to be disturbed when he went to the garden. That's why they still have it. It's actually funny if you think about it in Genesis, the garden, and, and the people kept it even in castles. A garden for the king to go and walk in, to probably clear their heads. And here he's wanting you to join in there, at that place where there's peace, quiet, it's got nothing to do with what's going on outside. That's why it's in the castle in the middle, because it's just a quiet place. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about all the wars and the people and that. All right. So that's what he's, how he's looking at you. I said to you, we know Jesus is a well. We know the woman at the well. We've done teachings on that, Futini. Um, and you are also a well that have water. You can, people can come and drink water from you as a well. All right, we know that by now what that means. Um, I said, yeah, what is in this garden that he's talking about here? It says it in verse 13. I'm not going to go through all the stuff we've done. On, we've done most of them, and I think we've done all of them. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, campfire with spikenard. Remember all the spices we did of the, the five spices? Spagnard and saffron, columns and cinnamon with the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, a stream from Lebanon. Go look at the meanings of all the stuff that we've done before. That's what he's saying here. That's what's in that garden that he finds in that garden, which is you. I don't want to go through all that stuff again. It's going to take too long. We've done teachings on that. Maybe you've got notes on that. Verse 16. Your inward life is now sprouting, bringing forth fruit. What a beautiful paradise unfolds within you. When I'm near you, I smell aromas of the finest spice for many classes of my exquisite fruits now grow within your inner garden. Remember this, this happened as we read this. She went through a couple of things to get here. She made a couple of choices to get here. Here are thy nine 
Pomegranate Passion Hena from Heaven Spikenard, the sweet saffron, shining fragrant columns across sacred cinnamon branches, scented woods, mirror like tears from a tree. We actually spoke about the mirror, they cut it, and then it, the tree like adds a tear. We said it. We spoke about that when we spoke about the Tabernacle of Moses. We, we did teaching on that. Um, Hello, and eagles ascending, you are a fountain of gardens, a well of living water springs up from within you, like a mountain brook flowing into my heart. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than if you look in a forest and you see this fountain brook flowing in that clean, I mean, that's pure water. And he says, yeah, you are a fountain, a yeah, stream. Next verse, verse 16, now it's the Shulamite bride. She says, remember that was the bridegroom, now she's saying, Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Passion translation, Awake, O north wind, awake, O south wind, breathe on my garden with your spirit wind. Stir up the sweet spice of your life within me. Spare nothing as you make me your fruitful garden. Hold nothing back until I release your fragrance. Come walk with me as you walked with Adam in your paradise garden. Come taste the fruits of your life in me. Man, that's beautiful. The way she did it. She's praying here. That's what she's asking. She's praying here. She calls on the north wind to blow over her. She's, what does that mean? She's willing to go into the winter, the cold, not so nice season. And we feel it now. We wish the season is already finished with all the cold and the wet and the, the low temperatures. And she says she's willing to go into this winter season. She says, come, I will allow you to do what you need to do, what needs to be done. I'm allowing it now. Remember in the beginning, she kicked against that. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. She thought twice and chose not to. Now she's saying, come. Next verse, 5-1. The bridegroom is speaking. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my mirror with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink ye, drink abundantly. O beloved, says, I have gathered from your heart, my equal, my bride, I have gathered from your garden all, the, all my sacred spices, even my mirror. I have tasted and enjoyed my wine within you. I have tasted with pleasure my pure milk, my honeycomb, which you yield to me. I delight in the gathering my sacred spice, all the fruits of my life I have gathered from within you. My paradise garden, come all my friends, feast upon my bride, all you revelers of my palace. Feast on her, my lovers, drink and drink and drink again until you can take no more. Drink the wine of her love. Take all you desire, you priests. My life within her will become your feast. You see, he's answering a prayer that she said in the previous one. He's answering a yes. See how many times it says, you're my beloved, you know, mine, you're mine. He keeps on saying it. So whose garden is this? Whose garden are you? His. 
you read the garden. He said, yeah, he planted in it, uh, uh, it in us. He cultivated it. He pruned it. Those are the things that he went through. And he actually loves what he did in us. I mean, if you read that and you see that's love, he's saying to them, now those people can come and drink from you. You're at a place where people can come and drink from you, eat from you, because he cultivated and pruned you so that you are ready for that. And I mean, at the end of the verse, he's allowing everybody to come and eat and drink from her. And he says, if you eat and drink from her, you will taste him, Jesus. If they come and eat and drink from you, they should taste Jesus. Not Yanello, Monique, or Kayla. Jesus, when they come to drink from you. I said here, we as the bride should make a difference in our town where we go. We must be the change when people come to drink of us. Wherever you feature, you must be the change when they drink from you. I said here, when he was feeding the 5,000, Jesus said, you feed them. You must feed them. He didn't say, I'm going to give them food. Can you imagine what those poor disciples thought that moment? And he says, uh, they come to him and say, listen, we need food. And he says, well, you feed them. And their minds went, <coughs> they didn't understand what must we do now. Luke, 19 verse 30, uh, Luke 9 verse 13 says, but he said to them, I think I've got it, yeah? Yeah. He said to them, something to, uh, you give them something to eat. They replied, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. I mean, you give them something to eat. See what he's saying there? We are the ones that are supposed to give people something. This weekend when we were away, I said to the men, we must be at a place where we supply to the need. We must stop needing ourselves. We must be at a place where people can come to us that need something, and we are a place where they can come and get that where the need is. We're supposed to be there. John 21, 17, Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. Every time it's something that you must give. There's a place where we receive, but that's why we must grow so that we can start giving. We've got to give. So remember that that's, if you at a place where you start giving to people, they can come and eat and drink wine from you, then you know you're growing more mature. And it takes a while to get there. It's not a quick thing, but a, we all can get there and be at a place where people can come and drink from us. In the next verse, verse 2 uh, of Song of Songs 5, it's the Shulamite bride now. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. Passion translation says, After this I let my devotion slumber, but my heart for him stayed awake. I had a, I had a dream. I dreamed of my beloved. He was coming to me in the darkness of night. The 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny. He says he's coming to me in the darkness. And I, most people, when they see the word darkness, they think of evil. Look where he's coming out of. Out of the mystery, the hidden. Not like most people always see darkness as evil. The melody of mine in love uh, awakened me. I heard his knock at my heart's door as he pleaded with me, Arise, my love. Open your heart, my darling, deeper still to me. Will you receive me this dark night? There is no one else but you, my friend, my equal. I need you this night to rise and come and be with me. You are my pure, loyal dove, a perfect partner for me. My flawless one will arise. Uh, will you arise? For my heaviness and tears are more than I can bear. I have spent myself for, uh, for you throughout the dark night. Again, she's dreaming here. She's dreaming here. And he's knocking and calling her. Where is that in the Bible? In Revelations. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will uh, sup with him and he with me. See where they got that verse? Song of Songs, it's in Revelation also. If he knocks, open. Next verse is the bride speaking. Verse 3, the bride speaking here. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? I have already laid aside my own garments for you. How could I take them up again since I've yielded my righteousness to yours? You have cleansed my life and taken me so far. Isn't that enough? Garments in the Bible? Oh, most of the time it's used as a picture of righteousness. There's verses for that. Uh, filthy garments are a symbol of unrighteousness or self-righteousness. We know the verses in the Bible. Clean white garments are a picture of righteousness, Christ. Um, laying aside her garments is a symbolic picture of what happens when, he came, um, when we came to know Jesus, our Savior, where we lay our garments aside. It's funny, they fought about these garments also at the cross, eh? I wish I could see what that garment was made out of. Because they said it was one piece. And I'm just saying, if these guys were willing to be money on a piece of garment of somebody hanging on a cross, they didn't be money on the other two guys' garments and stuff. It's only on his. That thing must have been made special, looked special, different. Why would there be money on that thing? But it's saying something else also. But just think about it for a moment. Why would they put that in there? Because these guys are being on Jesus' garment. They want that garment so desperately. You know, you read about them being on any other garments of people on the cross, but they wanted his. Think about it. When we come to Jesus, we lay down our self-righteousness and take up his garment of true righteousness. That's when we come to him, when we come to the Lord. But yeah, garments is something special. It, it says something. I mean, even in today's time when somebody wears a type of <laughs> wears a type of garment or something, it says something. You can see where they where they are sometimes in, in, in work and in, in the flesh. And so also in the spirit. It says something. Um, verse four. Sorry I'm going quickly because of time. 
My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. Um, I arose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with mirror, and my fingers with sweat smelling mirror, sweet smelling mirror upon the handles of the lock of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. Yea, he's going away again. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Passion translation says, I opened my soul to my beloved, but suddenly he was gone, and my heart was torn out in longing for him. I mean, yes, he opens up, and now he's gone. I sought his presence, his fragrance, but could not find him anywhere. I called out for him, yet he did not answer. I will arise and search for him until I find him. Oh, that's a key verse, eh? I will arise and search for him until I find him. I said, he always comes to us when we think we have figured stuff out. We know what's going on. We think we have it, you know, we 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 had okay place when we are comfortable um, with what we do, what we know. But we quickly realize what we know is not much. It's not even close. But look at the, how he comes and, and I mean, she's looking for him. He, he, he then goes away. But he says, remember, she's in bed having a dream here. And uh, he, he wants her to pray. Then she decides to get up uh, like she did, remember, in chapter 2, when she got up. She's wanting to do that here. But it's too late. He's gone. Yeah. Most of us have had that experience. What I just read you. I sought his presence, his fragrance, but I could not find him. I called for him, yet he did not answer. We've all had that felt that that's not a nice feeling when you feel like you're praying and you're asking and he's nowhere to be found but again i'm saying it and again like we did in in chapter two he's never gone he doesn't leave us he's just hidden at that time we feel he's gone he's left us he forgot about us he doesn't want to talk to us he doesn't want to answer but he's just stepped away he never leaves us Verse 7, as I walked throughout the city in search of him, the overseers stopped me and they made their round, as, as they made their rounds. They beat me and bruised me until I could not, uh, take no more. They wounded me deeply and removed my covering from me. Mm, this is a bit of a religion stuff we see here. Overseers, we spoke about that before, it can be people in... Uh, ministry that's in leadership or anybody that's maybe overseeing people it can be a cell group with the leader whatever the case may be it's somebody that's looking over people they are the ones that's supposed to help people they're there to help the body to help um, but here you see these leaders here when she got to them they hurt her they beat her they're like they they wanted to control her the way they, they handled with her. Uh, and it speaks about the covering, stand on my covering. You know, the leaders, the churches, the system sometimes. If you follow me, you must stand on my covering, my church. If you don't, then you must leave. That type of thing. 
And it's nothing biblical they're asking, they're covering. It's not a biblical thing. It's not Jesus. It's their belief systems that they have. It's nothing to do even with sin. It's their belief systems, their doctrines that you have to submit to that will cover you. Most of you that comes that came maybe out of the more Pentecostal churches will know all the teachings they do on coverings. They love teaching about covering to stay under their covering, uh, under the, their church covering, under their denominations covering. You don't get much teachings on covering in the Reformed churches. They don't go there. They don't teach on that much. But here she says, they beat me and bruised me, so they hurt her. She's looking for him. So you're going to a church and you're looking for Jesus and then you get hurt there. It happens. Verse 8. Nevertheless, make me this promise, you brides-to-be. If you find my beloved one, please tell him I endured all travails for him. Look at what he's saying now. I've been pierced through by love and I will not be turned aside. She is desperate now. She is going for it. Full throttle, no holds barred, she, she's telling the people, if they see him, she wants him. She's just been beaten, but she's still pursuing. She didn't find him where those people were, but she's still pursuing, pursuing him. She says to the brides to be the daughters of Jerusalem, they sometimes use that translation, in the, that wedding in the translation, I'm not going to give up. Even though I've been hurt, I'm still pursuing him. Tell him if you see him, I still want him. That's what she's saying here. Sometimes we get knocked down by things, and mostly people that hurt us and, and do things that hurt us. But we get up. We don't ponder on the, the pain. You deal with it. It takes you a day. It takes you a month. It takes you two months. But then you get up. You arise. And you seek Him. We all have to deal with somebody hurts you, does something that's not nice. But the thing is don't stay in that thing get up and walk arise we don't look at look at the bruises and the pain we look towards Jesus we must remember that we will get bruised we will get kicked we will get hurt all right doesn't help running from church to church also get so many people they do church hopping the whole time like we used to do pop crawling in the day thinking it's going to change but you're always going to get hurt you must seek Him. You must seek Him. But it takes time. It takes time. We, we have maybe walked this longer than others will tell you. It takes time to go through those things. To learn to see His plan in the thing that we don't understand. We can't see it while we're in it. And again, like I said, I don't think He left her. He's just hiding. The Jerusalem maidens that He speaks about there, it's the brides to be. Huh? Remember? The brides-to-be that they're talking about there. Verse 9. What love is this? How could you continue to care so deeply for him? Isn't there another who can steal away your heart? Look at what it, she's facing here. We see now your beauty more beautiful than all the others. What makes your beloved better than any other? What is it about him that makes you ask us to promise you this? Can you see she's only got eyes for him? And they see it. And they don't understand it. Have you seen if you talk to people about Jesus and he's all you have and they listen to you and they don't understand how can you 
How can you feel like that about Jesus? Because they don't, they're not there yet. They don't understand it. Um, in this verse they said, verse 10, He alone is my beloved. He shines in dazzling splendor, yet he's still so approachable, without equal as he stands above all others, outstanding among 10,000. She's saying uh, he's approachable, meaning he's human. You, you can go to him, talk to him, speak to him, be with him. He's approachable. He experiences everything with us that we go through. There's not a thing that he let, allows or what we do that we go through that he doesn't go through with us. I mean, the Bible says that's how we learn. He learned by going through all the trials. So when we go through the trials, he's there with us because luckily he's done that before. He had to go through it also because he's God, but he's also man. But he's approachable. And unfortunately, sometimes we, we in religion, people get us so bogged down in, in fearing him in a way that's not proper, that we don't, can't approach him. And then on the other side, we get people that make him cheap. They make this friend thing so cheap that they, they abuse it again. But when you're in a relationship and like where she is now, it's a love thing. That's all she desires. Nothing more. She just desires him because she knows now he's approachable. She knows he will come. She knows how he feels about her. She knows all of that now. And she's stepping up. But remember, he's still hiding here. But she's standing up. Even while he's hiding. We sometimes give up when he's hiding. We sometimes give up when Jesus is not answering us quick enough or in the way we want the answer, and then we give up on that thing, she's pursuing him still, even though she's not getting what she's wanting. We have stuff in the flesh that we want. A new job, a new this, other than that. Keep pursuing, keep asking in your relationship with him. You will do so much more even in the flesh because he's doing this in the spirit for her. He's there, he's available for her. So don't, when you don't give the answer, run away. She's got hurt, she got kicked, dragged. But she kept on saying to everybody, I want him. Even in this difficult time, if you find him, let me know. I want him. I mean, she says, he alone is my beloved. They tried to tempt him as ask her, isn't there somebody else? Why only him? Isn't there something else that can keep you, make you happy? Money, fame, Ministry, whatever. And she says, no, my beloved. I'm pursuing him, not the other stuff. I'm pursuing him. So next time we'll continue on when he comes to meet her again in that where he's now.